You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's particular podcast is actually from information uh, sent to me from Back for What's Mine. So shout out to Back for What's Mine. Uh, What you're looking at, family, is a picture in Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. And you see it says St. Benedict the Moor. Okay. And you see uh, also a statue. Uh, I'm not sure if this is representing St. Benedict or if this is representing Jesus. Um, But this is from St. Benedict the Moor Knights of Columbus chapter. Okay, so, like, okay, I mean, it can't get no more plain in sight than that. So, I'm like, okay, let's do a drop on this and um, present it to the family. So, again, shout out to Back for What's Mine for doing that footwork uh, and just taking this picture, showing us something that's in plain sight. So, let's see what history has to say. All right, so we are going to go to A Life of St. Benedict. All right. So uh, now I want you to notice in each one of these historical bibliographies that I'm going to go through, you're going to see St. Benedict depicted as Caucasian. Okay. So bear with me here. Let me pull up just to show you. And, And all I did was a quick search family. Literally, that was all I did was a, a quick search. And I came up with plenty of statues, paintings of the original St. Benedict. All right. So I'm going to uh, bring up a couple of those for the fam so you can see. Uh, Now, of course, these uh, particular statues are around the world in different um, churches and different monasteries, etc. Okay, so let me bring back up the screen share for you. Okay, so this first one, I mean, pretty plain as day to me. Okay, this one is out of, um, it's out of Portugal. Okay, this is St. Benedict or Benito. Okay, now where's my other picture? K 
Okay, just another drawing of Saint Benedict the Moor. Okay, so remember we talked about this word more. You have to look at it in the content of as they were using it back then, not the content or context that they're using it in the Americas today, to it, which is symbolizing an organization, um, either spiritual or religious. Back then, it represented black, a.k.a. melanated, and it also represented what part of the world this group of people were from, which was Northwest Africa. Okay, so that's that one. So just here's another statue that was depicting that someone did of um, St. Benedict. And this one is actually on sale off of Etsy. This bad boy is $670. Okay, right. Let's look at another one. Oh, I forgot y'all where this one is from. I apologize. Saint Benedict the Moor. Okay. And then another one, Saint Benedict the Black. All right. Like I said, this was a real easy search. But yet, when I go to sources that are giving the quote, quote, accurate historical account of St. Benedict, I get a Caucasian St. Benedict, all right? So this is yet another example of whitewashing history, all right, to fit a certain narrative, okay? And as they show you in Russia, those saints and priests were melanated. It was the same all around Europe. Okay. So let's see what they have to say. This is from stbenedict.org. A life of St. Benedict after founding 12 communities of monks in Sabiaco, Italy, Benedict of Norcia, 480 A.D. to uh, 547, traveled to Monte where he established a monastery and wrote the rule. The simple set of guidelines for how the life of a monk should be lived has become one of the most influential works in all Western Christendom. Okay. Now remember, this is what St. Benedict the Moor did. Early life in Norcia. St. Benedict was born at Nicaea around 480 AD, that historical time frame, a mere four years before the Western Roman Empire formally fell by the disposition of the last emperor, Romulus Augustulus, was quite difficult. 
The only authentic life of St. Benedict is that which is contained in the second book of the Pope St. Gregory's Dialogues, probably written between 593 to 594 AD. After attending primary schools in Norcia, Benedict went to Rome to broaden his knowledge to literature and law. However, since he was probably disgusted by the dissolute lifestyle of his peers and by Rome's difficult political situation, he retired to Afeli with a group of priests, taking his old nurse with him as a servant. At Afeli, St. Benedict worked his first miracle, restoring to perfect condition of earthenware wheat sifter, which his manservant had accidentally broken. The notoriety which this miracle brought drove Benedict to withdraw further from social life. He took shelter in a cave in the ruins of Nero's village near Sabico, where he began to live as a hermit, immersed in loneliness. His only contact with the outside world was with a monk called Romulus, whose monastery was nearby. So I want to know what miracle he performed with this wheat sifter that, uh, you know, gave him all of this uh, notoriety. That's interesting. So did he know some sort of ancient technology to fix it? That's, that's really interesting. But let's continue. He gave St. Benedict's a monk's habit and provided for his spiritual and material needs. Three solitary years, solitary years followed. Mm, three, huh? Some shepherds befriended Benedict. They began to follow his teachings and the pastoral and apostolic principles of the Benedict order took root. Founding Monasteries Sabiacal. After resisting a strong temptation against chastity, Benedict began to, I'm, I'm sorry, Benedict prepared to live through a new experience following the example of the ancient fathers of Christian monosism. At first, the community of Vicovarel wanted him as its abbot. But the failed attempt of a monk to poison him forced Benedict to return to his solitude. Child, don't seem like he was all that much up for being bothered with folks. Afterward, he founded 12 monasteries and assigned 12 monks to each of them. Okay, so now you all can view this 12 in two ways, I always say that the 12 is really the one way, but uh, those with Christian uh, foundation and beliefs, you all should know the significance of that 12 in the Christian faith. Uh, those on the esoteric and on um, the science side of it, the 12 is applicable to astrology okay that astrology clock that controls uh frequency and vibrations 
that depicts ages, but we'll continue. In addition, he founded a 13th. Okay, so this is where the esoteric comes into play. He founded a 13th. 13th means hidden in numerology. 13th monastery for novices and those needing education. Benedict's fame spread so rapidly, even in Rome, that two uh, illustrious men, Aquisius and the nobleman Tertullus, trusted him with their two sons, Morris and Placidus. They were to become the first two gems of the Benedictine family. During his life, St. Benedict performed many miracles. He found water on a desolate mountaintop to quench the thirst of his monks. I'm just going to continue to read through this. So those of you in the Christian faith, it'll be interesting. What's your take on, (coughs) excuse me, St. Benedict? He retrieved a bill hook's iron from the bottom of a lake and rejoined its handle. He prevented a monk from leading a dissolute life through intervention. In addition, he made Marius walk on water. Y'all know this sounds like Jesus. I'm just saying. In addition, he made Marius walk on water to save the young Placidius from drowning. The child, listen now. If all of this is true, did St. Benedict have some sort of scientific metaphysic knowledge? So in other words, he knew how to work with the elements in the realm differently to create said miracles. Now I'm going to go into even more conspiracy theories. Was St. Benedict one of the leftovers from a reset? Hmm. Let's continue. Unfortunately, a priest called Florentius was envious of Benedict's popularity and his envy forced the saint to depart in spite of insistence from his disciples. After leaving Subaico, Benedict went towards Casino or Casino. Oh, I did not know. Is that where the word Casino comes from? In the period between 525 and 529 A.D., he founded the Abbey of Monte Cassino. It would become the most famous abbey in continental Europe. Under Benedict's direction, the old Acropolis sanctuary towering above the declined Roman municipum of Cassinum was turned into a monastery that was much bigger than those built at Sabiacal. On the remains of the altar of Apollo, yeah, 
Peep the game. Peep the game. On the remains of the altar Apollo, he built a chapel dedicated to St. John the Baptist. While the temple of Apollo itself was turned into an oratory for the monks, which was dedicated to St. Martin of Tours. And I pointed out the altar of Apollo because what you're going to find consistently throughout history are these ancient temples and church churches being built, temples, add temples in there too, are being built on top of older ruins, specifically older um, altars and temples to other gods of other old worlds, okay? And as we talked about last Thursday on the Truth Uncompromised show uh, via Brother Odell's information that these old, these churches sit on ley lines. So it would make sense that any time new churches, chapels are being built, they would build them over old, those same old ruins because it symbolizes a couple things. It symbolizes either moving into a new age. I say it's both. Moving into a new age and a reset and the ushering in of a new type of religious faith system. And with each one of those uh, comes, with each one of the rebuilding of these uh, monasteries, churches, temples, etc., on top of the ley lines, it is still to control the planet's frequency with the frequency that these particular empires want across the planet. Okay? All right. Monastery life take roots. Monte Cassino. At Monte Cassino, St. Benedict displayed prodigious activity. He supervised the building of the monastery, established a monastic order, and performed many miracles. So again, I say they keep talking about him performing these miracles. So I say, was St. Benedict the Moor a remnant from a previous reset and he just remembered the old world science. He knew how to work within the elements to make it seem like miracles to the new population or the reset population. Now, of course, this is just speculation on my part. 
but I find it very interesting. They keep speaking of him performing these miracles. He brought back from death. He brought back from death a youngster, miraculously supplied the monastery with flour and oil in a time of need and displayed the gift of prophecy. Again, he sounds like Jesus to me. In autumn of 542 AD, while the Goth king Totila was passing through Casino en route to Naples to attack it, he decided to test Saint Benedict because he had already heard of his gifts as a charisma. Um, so, you know, it's interesting now that they talk about him feeding uh, folks with oil and bread. Let's go back to this picture. I had a, oh, dog, I, th I didn't pull it for you all. Oh, yes, I did. So that would explain this particular picture. That would explain this picture depicting St. Benedict the Black. In this picture, they're calling him St. Benedict the Black with the bread. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. All right, so uh, as a consequence, Totilia sent his squire dressed as a king to greet the monk. But St. Benedict soon unmasked him. When he finally met Totila, he warned him with a dire prediction. You have hurt many and you continue to do it. Now stop behaving badly. You will enter Rome. You will cross the vast sea. You will reign for nine years. However, in the 10th, you will die. Okay, so he spit uh, a premonition to him. And he gave him the astrological value. Nine means beginning to end. And so in that 10th, so that 10th would be the beginning of a new start. He telling him, you fenced to be out of there. And that is exactly what happened. St. Benedict showed the same virtue as he cried bitterly when confronted with the vision of the first destruction of his monastery. Notwithstanding, he received from God the grace to save all monks. St. Benedict devoted himself to evangelizing the local population who practiced pagan worship. Okay, so remember that pagan worship that they always speak of is the worship of the indigenous population of um, the lands that were conquered. Okay. Shortly before he died, St. Benedict saw the soul of his sister, St. Get out of here. Why is his sister's name St. Scholastica? Get out of here. Is that where the word Scholastic came from? St. Benedict saw the soul of his sister, St. Scholastica, rising to heaven in the form of a dove. This vision happened a few days after their last talk together on the foot of Monte Cassino. In a vision, Benedict saw the soul of Bishop Germanus of Capua taken by angels in a fire glow. These visions for Pope St. Gregory the Great showed a close union between Benedict and God, a union so intense that the saint was given 
the share of an even more magnificent vision, the whole creation as gathered in a sunbeam. In the end, a life so noble was justifiably followed by a much glorified death. According to tradition, St. Benedict died on March 21st. Hmm, I wonder if that was a new year. Even back then. That's interesting. 547 AD. He foresaw his coming death, informing his close and faraway disciples that the end was near. Six days before dying, he had the grave, which he was to share with his deceased sister, St. Scalistica, opened. Then, completely exhausted, he asked to be taken into his oratory, where, after taking his last Holy Communion, he died, supported by his monks. Okay, so this comes from uh, St. Benedict. Uh, dot org. Uh, so just real quick, uh, Wikipedia did a drop on him as well. Um, so Benedict, uh, uh, let me make sure that's the right one. Um, yep, that's the right one. Okay. Let's see what they have to say. Was a Christian saint venerated in the Catholic church the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Oriental Orthodox Church, the Angelica Communion, and old Catholic churches. He is a patron saint of Europe. Okay, and so it, you know, gives him his shout out for founding the 12 communities for monks in Italy. Okay, uh, so just wanted to show you the drop uh, that they give him on Wikipedia. Uh, he's a little tawny-ish in here. <laughs> but that's still a far cry from this. Okay, that's out of Portugal. From this, St. Benedict the Black, depicting him with the bread, feeding the folks. This, Okay, this, somebody else recreated the statue of him. This drawing, St. Benedict the Moor. And what can be found today in um, Savannah, Georgia. Okay. All right. So the last thing I wanted to cover real quick, uh, this is out of Britannica, the Benedictine religious order. The Benedictine, member of the order of St. Benedict, OSB, member of any of the confederated organizations of monks, lay brothers and nuns who follow the rule of life of St. Benedict and who are spiritual descendants of the traditional monastic of the early medieval centuries in Italy and Gaul. The Benedictines, strictly speaking, do not constitute a single religious order because each monastery is autonomous. 
Okay, so St. Benedict wrote his rule, the so-called Benedictine rule, with his own abbey of Monte Cassino in mind. The rule, which spread slowly in Italy and Gaul, provided a complete directory for both the government and spiritual and material well-being of a monastery by carefully integrating prayer, manual labor, and study into a well-rounded daily routine. By the 7th century, the rule had been applied to women as nuns whose uh, patriotness was deemed, oh, saint, Scholastica, sister of St. Benedict. So they named it after his sister. Wow. By the time of Charlemagne at the beginning of the ninth century, and remember we gave y'all pictures also of Charlemagne, which is melanated at the beginning of the ninth century, the Benedictine rule had supplanted most of most other observances in Northern and Western Europe. During the five centuries following the death of Benedict, the monasteries multiplied both in size and in wealth. They were the chief repositories of learning and literature in Western Europe and were also the principal educators. One of the most celebrated of Benedictine's monastery was Burgundian Abbey of Cluny, founded as a reform house of William of Aquitaine in 910. The Cluniac reform was often imitated by other monasteries, and a succession of able abbots gradually built up throughout Western Europe a great network of monasteries that followed the strict Clunaic customs and were under the direction, I'm sorry, under the direct jurisdiction of Cluny. The great age of Benedictine predominance ended about the middle of the 12th century and the history of the main line of Benedictine monasticism for the next three centuries was to be one, one of decline and decadence. The 15th century saw the rise of a new Benedictine institution, the Congregation. In 1424, the Congregation of Santa Cristina of Padilla instituted reform that breathed new life into Benedictine monotism. Sorry, I'm getting tired. (laughs) Superiors were elected for three years. Monks no longer took vows to a particular house, but to the congregation. Okay, so I find that interesting. Uh, Again, that they set this up originally. uh, It was set up as houses. And it going to go back to astrology again. Those that know astrology know you talk about the different houses in astrology. And also go back to the European thrones. They talk about uh, the different houses uh, or really just the family. So like the house of Stuart, all of that jazz. All right. Further ruling authority was concentrated in the annual general chapters or legislative meetings. 
This radical reform spread within a century to all the Benedictines of Italy and became known as the Cassinese Congregation. There were similar reforms throughout Europe. These reforms were confronted by the turmoil of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. So now we should know what that's all about. King James Stuart, Stuart Nim, remember all that shake up? Within a few years, 1525 to 1560, the monasteries and nunneries disappeared almost entirely from Northern Europe and suffered greatly in France and Central Europe. Benedictinism revived in France and Germany during the 17th century. However, and several congregations were founded, notably that of male Morris in France and female perpetual adoration in Paris. 1653, and Our Lady of Calvary, 1617. Although the 18th century witnessed a new decline from the middle of the 19th century, Benedictine monasteries and nunneries again began to flourish. Foundation including Solsmith with its emphasis on the celebration of the liturgy arose throughout Europe. Monks and nuns returned to England. Congregations were established in North and South America and monasteries scattered all over the world. In the face of this revival, Pope Leo XIII desired to bring about some sort of unity among the traditionally independent Benedictines. In 1893, he created the Office of Abbot Primate as head of the Federation of Autonomous Congregations. This office, though unwelcome because of Benedictine's desire for autonomy, autonomy gradually developed in influence. Okay. All right. Okay, so that's it on that. Okay, they did a good job. So again, uh, this is from uh, Britannica, just giving you the kind of the rundown on the Benedictine religious order. So in high level summary, the starting of monks and even nuns came from St. Benedict the Moor or St. Benedict the Black. Okay. So just as a reminder, okay? So uh, again, shout out and thank you to um, Back for What's Mine for giving us, uh, uh, thank you for having the boots on the ground and for seeing things with your third eye. You immediately picked that up. You saw it for what it was. It's much appreciated. Because I have truly learned something. Uh, this was really, really a, a great piece of information for the family to know um, and learn. It's appreciated back for what's mine. So those of you in Savannah, uh, go check this out. Now y'all have um, a different, you should have a different content on what uh, this actually means. Okay what that name actually means. 
So uh, if you are not subscribed to us, family, I highly encourage you to subscribe, share, and like this video. Uh, I do appreciate you all. Thank you for the information that you are sending me. I am behind in getting to the information that you're sending me. Um, I haven't forgotten about you. I'll, I'll get there. Uh, but if you want to send me some con, uh, tent, you can send it at our email truth uncompromised at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on, uh, Instagram messaging or Facebook messaging under truth uncompromised as well. So I wish everyone well on this Wednesday. Um, we are going to be live on the Truth Uncompromised show on Thursday, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Brother Odell is scheduled to come back. And this week we are going to get into the astrological clock. Uh, last week, we dropped a lot of heavy information. It was a seven-hour drop, fam. Uh, so if you kind of, once again, want to see that connection of the, the religious faith and the esoteric, metaphysical side, then that's definitely um, the show for you, okay? And you can also check out last week. We went into deep into the religious side, breaking down a lot of the symbolism. We even talked about these temples and churches being built on the ley lines, etc. So shout out to Brother Odell as well. So with that said, family, I want to thank you all very much. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Peace and love, family. 